0: This faith and finance podcast is underwritten in part by Eventide Investments. They believe that investing is more than just returns. It's an opportunity to partner with companies that align with your values and are making a positive difference in the world. Learn more at eventideinvestments.com.
1: Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6. I'm Rob West. We all want our kids to mature and become wise stewards of God's resources. Younger generations need training to do that. I'll give you some lessons for young adults today, and then it's on to your calls at 800 525 7000. That's 800 525 7000. This is Faith and Finance. Biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Okay, some of the lessons we'll talk about today can be taught to younger children, but by the time they're adults, they should have all these down pat. It's sometimes too early, but never too late to teach your children how to manage money wisely. So today, I want to focus on teaching your older kids who are in or nearing adulthood because they may have missed a lesson along the way. Now, this is especially important because a recent financial literacy survey by the TIAA Institute found that Americans age 18 to 29 scored the lowest of any age group. Only about 40% of these young adults answered money-related questions correctly. That's disturbing, but your family doesn't have to be part of that statistic if you pass along several important lessons. Two of the most important are, first, that God owns everything, including ourselves. Psalm twenty-four one reads, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And second, God is our provider. Everything we have is a gift from Him, including and especially our salvation. James 1.17 tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Grasping those two truths will enable your child to trust in God to provide and to give cheerfully out of gratitude. More on that in a minute. Now, some lessons about managing money wisely, and they begin with teaching the value of work, whether that's studying for school or earning money on a job. Work is not punishment. It was ordained by God before the fall. Uh, Genesis 2.15 reads, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden as its gardener to tend and care for it. You never want to express the idea that work is punishment, but rather as an opportunity given by God to earn money. Children who've reached adulthood and are not still in school should work outside the home and contribute to household expenses. You probably aren't helping them by allowing them to live at home and not contribute. Remind them that all work has value and is profitable, that God is their real boss, and that they should always conduct themselves in ways that honor the Lord. Now, the next lesson they need to learn is that living on a budget is essential for wise money management. Everyone needs to budget, and the less money you make, the more important it is to have a spending plan. Young adults should have zero trouble downloading the FaithFi app to help them set up a spending plan. They can just look for FaithFi in their app store. That's Faith F I. The next lesson is to ABS, always be saving. A budget will help your young adult cut expenses or maybe increase income, so there's something left over each month. If he or she can't learn to live on less than they make, they'll always be in debt, which is our next lesson. Teach them that debt is not a sin, but that Proverbs twenty-two seven teaches that the borrower is slave to the lender. This lesson should not be limited to credit cards. Student loans are a huge problem for young adults entering the workforce. They need to borrow as little as possible for college. Living beyond one's means and running up debt is presuming on the future that you'll have enough money later to pay it off. But Proverbs 19.21 warns many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Debt may also be a sign that one is discontent with God's provision and is ungrateful. But Philippians 4.19 reads, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, our last lesson for young adults, but certainly not least is about giving. They may be just entering or new to the workforce or struggling financially. I get that. But generosity is an essential part of Christian life and can't be ignored. So encourage your young adult to be a percentage giver to his or her local church. Giving is an act of worship. And as Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. Giving with open hands breaks the power that money can have over us and strengthens our relationship with Jesus. Okay, those are your lessons for young adults. I hope you find them useful. Your calls are next, 800-525-7000. We'll be right back. Absolutely free. We know you've learned to be suspicious of those words, but really, you can get biblical financial wisdom delivered to your inbox absolutely free articles, videos, podcasts, and special offers on biblical resources. More than 50,000 people receive our free weekly wisdom email and you can too. Create your free Faith and Finance account. Just visit faithby.com and click sign up. We're grateful for support from Eventide Investments on the Faith and Finance program. Eventide's approach to values-based investing is grounded in the belief that humankind was created in the image of God with intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. Eventide calls this investing that makes the world rejoice. More information is available at EventideInvestments.com. That's EventideInvestments.com. So delighted you're joining us today on Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls and questions today on anything financial. Cordelaine, Margaret, thank you for calling. Go right ahead.
2: Hello, I'm just asking some questions. Um, a Bible question, really. I'm asking about um, what the Christian viewpoint is on tithing. I've under- been told by someone that They just believe it's from the Old Testament belief that was to pay, you know, the Levites, whoever, so that they because they didn't have an income, so it was to give them money to live Mm -hmm. by. My understanding is we still have Bible beliefs that we should continue because everything we have is God's money, and we should continue to um, give Him that ten percent just to show that it is his, and we want to return um, something to him. We give money um, to some mission projects, to some missionaries that we have over the, overseas that we know of, yes. to help them. Um, anyway, I just like some biblical, you know, backing of, for today for tithing.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate the question, Margaret, very much. There is a lot of confusion about tithing. If you go to most churches today, you'll find that tithing or the idea of giving a tenth, which is what tithe means of your income, is what most pastors preach. Although I will say among Bible-believing Christians and pastors, there are differing positions on whether tithing is for today. Uh, is it an Old Testament concept under the law of Moses? Absolutely. In fact, um, while, as I said, the tithe means... There were actually three tithes in the Old Testament. There was one for the Levites, there was one for the temple, and one for the poor, which happened every three years. So if you add it up and you tithe, uh, you look at the tithe from the Old Testament, it was actually 23 and a third percent every single year. Uh, And that was just the beginning. Then they would make offerings for the first fruits at the beginning of their harvest, and then they'd make an offering at the Feast of Weeks in proportion to the size of their harvest. Uh, There was a whole host of of other uh, giving that was done. Uh, Now, uh, because the Old Testament giving laws went far beyond 10%, uh, what's interesting is that when Jesus enters the scene, he takes giving to an even higher level, just as he did with most things. Um, He showed a different way of giving, what I might call whole life generosity, by giving ultimately his life as the ultimate sacrifice. Now, when he talked about money, he taught us, that we should give as we've been blessed in Luke 6.38. He said, to whom much has been given, much is required in Luke 12.48. He commended the poor widow who gave her last two copper coins. She gave out of her poverty. And then, of course, we remember the story of the rich young ruler where he asked him to give away all of his wealth. So, uh, you know, I think this confusion is demonstrated often in our practice, but what we can be sure of is that to your point, Uh, those of us who have seen what Christ did for us on the cross should recognize that we should be givers. Uh, Because when we acknowledge that Christ is the, or that God is the owner of everything, as it says in the Bible, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Then it's all his. And he's the ultimate giver, right? He gave us his son. So I like to say we're most like him when we're giving because we were created in his image. It's also a demonstration of our trust because when we give, it's saying to the Lord, I know you're my provider and I don't have to have hold everything with a clenched fist because when I give it away, I trust that you're going to continue to provide for me. It's also something we should do cheerfully, the Bible says, as an act of worship. So. Where do you come down on it as believers? Well, I like to look at the tithe, like my friend Randy Alcorn talks about, as the training wheels of giving. It's the starting point. It's not the ending point. We say, yes, the local church is God's plan A, and so we need to start there, and uh, using the principle, the Old Testament principle of the tithe, a tenth, uh, systematically off of our increase, which is whatever comes our way, which is a all a gracious gift from God, let's return and attempt to him systematically as a way to demonstrate that we want to give the first and the best to Him. But then we should give beyond that, whether that's ratcheting up that 10% and a progressive giving plan, maybe 1% a year, or giving beyond that sacrificially to people in need and ministries doing work in the name of Jesus in your community and around the world. Uh, that's an opportunity as well. And what we find is is that as we give, the joy that follows, Margaret, is something that's just incredible. And over time, because 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 it's so incredible, we want to find ways to reorient our lives so that we can give even more because we want to be participating. In God's activity. But as to the amount, I don't think God wants us to be legalistic about it. It's not about checking a box. It's about us being on our knees saying, Lord, everything I have is a gracious gift from you. I trust you as my provider. I want to honor you. I realize it's a privilege to be partner with you where you're at work. And so I want to know what is your heart for me as to how much I should keep? And how much I should give. And then I think you and your husband need to work through that together. At the end of the day, God wants your hearts. And he wants unity in your marriage. Because again, he doesn't need our money. And so this is really about you all coming together to develop a vision for your giving. That's consistent with scripture. But ultimately reflects what you believe the Lord would have you to do. Now, I've thrown a lot at you. So give me your thoughts.
2: Well, my thoughts are in. I'm in a unique situation. Um, my husband and I mainly just get Social Security right now. Yes, ma'am. And it's plenty enough. We have, and I have a little bit of income from retirement. And God is blessing us beyond. You know, I mean, we are not by far wealthy. That's for sure. Yeah. But we have, like I said, given to some. We used. We've gone as missionaries to certain places, and now we are sending money. help support those people still. Some of them are teachers who don't even get any salary. They're not getting paid. So we try to fill in some of that. My husband now has chosen we are getting more social security. So like he's, he's taking money and investing it. I think he's investing it wisely. He's with a Christian investor, person, whatever. And, um, you know, of course, that's the stock market. It's up and down, but he, it's, It's very wisely invested, but I still feel his attitude has been – he told somebody the other day, well, I don't pay tithe anymore, which really bothers me, and that's why I asked the question. Um, He has some some issues with the local church we have belonged to. He didn't like – I don't think he has any foundation for it, but he's like they just want money. Mm. And so I'm trying to step very carefully between that and still – you know supporting mission and things that support christianity and god's yeah. um you know in the in the world
1: yes Well, I I certainly appreciate all that you just said there. And I think, again, at the end of the day, God wants our hearts. He's always been about our hearts. He wants unity in your marriage. And He wants what? He wants something for you, not from you. And I think when you look at the New Testament in particular, what's going to jump off the page is not even any ideas around saving. It's this idea that we should be generous. You know, yes, we should manage God's resources well as stewards. But uh, what's even bigger than that, all three through the Bible, and certainly in the New Testament, is that we're to be generous sowers. And, um, you know, as we have been blessed, which clearly you say you have, and we all have, then we're to give as a response to that, as an act of worship. And there's incredible joy that follows. And so I would just perhaps ask your husband if you all can pray about it for a couple of weeks and perhaps elevate your vision around your giving. Hang on the line. We'll talk a bit more off the air. We'll be right back.
2: God's Word is packed with life-changing wisdom about your finances. And Faith and Finance is here to help you and many others to be wise stewards of God's resources. We rely on help from Faith and Finance patrons, supporters of this mission, to help us continue and expand our outreach. Please consider becoming a monthly Faith and Finance patron. Visit faithfi.com and click Give on the homepage. We are grateful for support from Praxis Mutual Funds. Praxis Mutual Funds has seven impact strategies that are designed to create positive, real-world change. More information is available at PraxisMutualFunds.com. The fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses are contained in the prospectus and summary prospectus. This and other information is available at PraxisMutualFunds.com. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Foresight Fund Services, LLC.
1: So glad you've joined us today on Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls and questions today. I had a chance to follow up with Margaret off the air a bit as we continue to talk about giving in marriage. You know, she's a little more comfortable giving what they have back to the Lord. He's feeling like maybe they're a little behind in their long-term savings now that they're in their 70s and even though they're living within their means, they don't have a whole lot else and he wants to invest more more of what they have and I think the opportunity there is to live in the tension. You know, God does something as we wrestle through things together where we talk it through. And we say, Lord, we want to trust you. But, you know, one of us is a little more ready to give and another is wanting to hold a little more tightly. How can you help us come together in unity to make this decision? I love what my friend Bob Dahl says in a recent article we just published on our website with regard to giving as a married couple. He said, leave room for both of you uh, to be reflected in your giving plan. Once you pray through and decide on an amount, maybe there's a portion that you direct, a portion that your spouse directs, and then a portion that you direct together. Uh, You know, it doesn't have to be a one-size-fits-all, approach. The key is God wants our hearts. He wants unity. And ultimately he wants us to trust him. And the process of working through that trust, uh, is a process where he can go to work in each of our lives and allow us to grow in the process. I hope that's an encouragement to you today. All right, let's head back to the phones. Kim is in Minnesota and Kim, I understand you want to talk about bankruptcy. How can I help you?
0: Hi. Yeah, I, um, appreciate the previous caller's question. Um, being on a fixed income is really difficult. I, um, my husband is on RSDI, and our disabled adult son is on SSI and I am a wage earner. I'm grateful that I get to be paid to take care of him. However, <laughs> I tried to take another job and it ended up being a scam and now I am like $30,000 in debt. Um, when is it okay for us to ever file bankruptcy? I mean, I always believe, I know the scripture that keeps running through my head is, Oh, no man, anything but to love them. And mm-hmm. so this is just really, I just don't know what to do.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't think it's unbiblical to file for bankruptcy. You won't see the word bankruptcy in the Bible. It's a modern legal term we've created unless you're doing it to avoid paying your debts. Uh, But sometimes bankruptcy is our only option, especially in the business world where creditors can force us into it. It should absolutely be a last resort. And I would say if you do file, and I've seen many cases of this, uh, uh, you can still make every effort to repay your creditors even after the debts are erased by the court. It's not going to be easy. They may say, well, we've charged it off, or, you know, we've been reimbursed through insurance, or, you know, we can't even collect payment on that, but you can do everything you can to try to make, um, you know, restitution there and pay back everything you owe. Because in addition to the verse you would had cited, I would also... You know, reference Psalm thirty-seven, twenty-one. the wicked borrows, but does not pay back. And so clearly we should have an absolute commitment to repayment, uh, but that doesn't really apply to whether or not we're forced into bankruptcy. So I think the key here is what has God entrusted to you? Perhaps, you know, for whatever challenges and mistakes you've made in the past, we all have them, uh, you know, you've been taken advantage of. I certainly understand that. Um, you need to take what God has provided for you and move forward in a way that makes sense. And if you need legal protection along the way through bankruptcy, you may be forced into a position to do that. Uh, If you can avoid it, I would, not only because it's just added expense, but also the fallout with your credit report. But I think the key right now is to not run from your creditors, but run to them, let them know the situation that you're in, um, communicate clearly, have a budget that you can show just how limited the resources are, and then move forward in a way that's wise, where you're doing the very best you can to live within your means and set up when you're able to uh, a debt repayment plan that even if it's going to take a long, long time to do, um, you're just going to, you know, honor that commitment that you've made to try to repay systematically as you're able. And that's all you can do is as you're able. Um, so it's not so much for me as it, you know, whether or not bankruptcy is biblical or unbiblical as it is, how can I be faithful with what I have and how can I, to the best of my ability, honor my commitments, uh, and obligations moving forward. In some cases, the creditors will be willing to work with you. In some cases they won't. And that's where bankruptcy often comes in. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does make sense. I'm, I'm also being sued by people that I didn't buy their services or that I didn't, you know, because of the identity theft. So, oh, yeah. um, it's not all my debt. So, yeah. um,
1: Yes. No. I well, and that part is it's a challenge. And obviously, if it's not your debt, you didn't incur it, and it was incurred fraudulently, then that that's an entirely different situation. That's not an obligation or a commitment you made. Do you have some representation? Somebody who's helping you navigate this? Could could your church perhaps be a local, you know, resource here in this in this challenging time you guys find yourselves in? No. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to pray that the Lord gives you somebody that will come alongside you, even unexpected and miraculously, that would be able to help you provide some counsel here, maybe even help you financially. Uh, we'll certainly put an appeal out to our faith and finance community just to say, if you feel a, a burden uh, to help Kim in this situation, let us know. We'd be happy to help make that happen. But Kim, can I pray for you as uh, we ask the Lord to give you some wisdom here? Yeah, thank you. All right. Let me do that. Father, I lift Kim and her husband up to you. Lord, we ask first... Uh uh, as the great physician that you'd bring healing to her husband's body. Uh, we just thank you for the provision you've given. Lord, in the midst of this fraud that has occurred and um, the harm that's been caused to this family, I pray that you would just uh, miraculously provide. Uh, thank you that you are provider, our provider and we can trust you. And we ask that you would just bring that provision even unexpectedly. Um, and you've said that, uh, Lord, if you're going to uh, care for the birds of the air, why would you not care for us as your children? And so we claim that today and just ask that uh, you would uh, walk alongside them, that where uh, you want to reveal yourself to them and teach them and allow them to grow through this process, that that would happen, but that there would also be wisdom that you would bring to Kim as she tries to navigate this situation um, financially. So we trust you in this, Lord. We leave it in your hands, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Kim, thank you for calling today. Uh, Keep us posted on that situation. And that's going to do it for us today. I really appreciate your taking time to listen to this program and to committing the principles we talk about each time to your financial life. You see, God's plan isn't difficult, but it does take discipline, and I hope we can encourage you along the way as you listen to this program. Incidentally, if you've been helped by what you've heard here, would you mind helping us? This broadcast, the FaithFy app, and the other great resources we provide wouldn't be possible without the financial support we receive from listeners like you. We offer a lot of our resources for free and even have a free version of the FaithFi app. And that's only possible because of the generous gifts from listeners like you. If you're not yet one of our financial partners but would like to be, would you visit our new website, faithfi.com? That's faithfi.com and then click the Give button to sign up. We'd certainly be grateful. In the meantime, please set an alarm on your phone and make plans to join us again next time. I'll be here, and I hope you will be too, for the next edition with an all-new name of Faith and Finance. See you then. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.